Uh, we're going to carry on our Sit, Walk, Stand series through Ephesians. So if you've got your, uh, your Bible to hand in whatever format it is, uh, we're going to carry on in our walk element. Let me see if I can make this. There we go. So we're walking through some of the instructional elements of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, a letter that's going to be circulated round all the different churches. And what Paul's starting to do, and we've been looking at in this walk section, is to redefine what a new society actually looks like with God. The opportunity now exists for the whole of society to be transformed by the work of Christ in resolving what happened at the fall and the expulsion of humanity from God's presence and their broken relationships with one another. Now that Christ has come and this Christ event has happened, the, the whole framework of human relations is utterly changed. And the opportunity now exists to seek to recover that which was lost, not just in terms of relationship to God, but also in terms of relationship with one another. If we look at what history tells us about the Greco-Roman society, the Greek and Roman society that Paul was talking into, we start to learn about how far from God's plan, humanity has actually run. The rights and privileges of men and women was completely obscured and destroyed by our own interpretation of what we think these relationships ought to look like. In Greek and Roman society, the man had absolute authority over everything. Indeed, the word imbecile that we have in English was a Latin term, imbecilius, used of women in terms of the relationship to the man. This idea that a woman couldn't even think for herself or think properly even to administer or make judgments, but would have to be led by the man of the household. The man indeed have absolute power and rights over his household, and as we'll look later on in terms of relationship between parents and children, the father of the house had this absolute authority that even led to capital punishment if he felt necessary. He could indeed kill his children if he felt it was right to do so. And this authority of the father in the family, over the family, was so absolute that Indeed, he wasn't bound by any reciprocal relationship to the wife at all. In fact, the husband, the father, could have sexual relations with whoever he wanted, and that wasn't deemed to be a problem. So what Paul's talking about here, what he presents in Ephesians, is a significant and powerful explosion into Greek and Roman society. He is transforming what was utterly broken and starting to set things right. You see, 
What Paul talks about in certainly Ephesians 5 that we're going to look at today is a bombshell. Now you have to remember that what Paul's doing is he's, he's writing an epistle, a letter of instruction to the churches, and that letter's going to be read out. And it's going to be read out to the gathered community. And as he reads it out, what he's going to be doing is he's going to be using structures of what we call rhetoric. He's, he's designing the piece of communication to create connections of ideas throughout the whole piece so that people hear a piece or a sentence of information or a particular word or a way he's expressing something, an analogy or a metaphor, and they're going to hear that. And then they're going to hear it later on in the same expression or reading of the letter. Indeed, the letter is invariably memorised by the person who's bringing it. They're not reading it from the scroll, which is really hard to manage. They actually commit it to memory. So there's this... Imagine you're, you're in this room in Ephesus and the context that I've been speaking about of, of male superiority and absolute undenied authority over life and death of children, even to the extent that if a child married, the possessions still were the possessions of the father. The father owned the children's own possessions until he died. And if he wanted to, and that child had their own house and had their own family and had their own slaves or had their own crops or, or livestock, the father could come along and say, right, I'm having that. I'm having that. He could do whatever he wanted. Imagine being in that room where you're aware of what Christ has done in your own life, where you see this dynamic shift into freedom, into liberty, and now you're getting a letter being read out to you from an apostle, from one of those who has encountered Christ, who has been mandated to instruct the churches about how society, how life now works. And everybody sat there with bated breath. What's he going to say to us? And so the speaker starts to speak. We have to capture this idea of what's being said is explosive. And it's particularly explosive for the readjusting of the male authority and supremacy and absolutism that exists within the Greek and Roman culture. And so we have this bombshell, but we also have this bomb where what Paul starts to position for women is an elevation of their position in society. That this new society in Christ, the new order, is completely different to what they've been experiencing. And there are new rights and privileges that are presented. The woman is no longer owned, but she is an equal partner with her husband. And so we'll explore this as we roll through. So there's three or four key sections here. We, we approach at the end of Ephesians chapter 5 and then it rolls through into part of chapter 6. And what Paul talks to this room full of people, what he says to them applies to all of them at the beginning. 
And then he starts to hone in on particular relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, and employers and employees, or as was in that context, slaves and masters. There were indeed 60 million slaves within the Roman Empire. And some slaves would have been doctors. Quesi could have been a slave. Some slaves were engineers. They weren't just the ones who were cleaning out latrines and, and, you know, sorting out the everyday domestic chores. They were highly skilled people, but they were still bound in slavery, either because of their own personal financial circumstances or because of other situations where they were captive in war or they'd been bought and sold out because of a different situation. Now, as we go through these verses, what I want us to do is keep the following principles in mind. Principle one, we've seen earlier in Ephesians chapter five. Principle one, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That that enables us, directs us, starts to hone us in on the driving force of all our other relationships. Principle two, our model is Jesus. Throughout this, what you'll see is in reverence to Christ or in the Lord are phrases that are being used again and again by Paul. And what he wants us to do is in the Lord. When you look at somebody, I want you to see the Lord Jesus standing behind them. I want you to see the context of this new society is in him and what he has done for us. So keep him in view, principle three, when, he's, when we're looking at others. He's our model for behaviour, but keep him in view as we look at others. And to use the first letters, if we follow these principles in our society or our community, we will find ourselves being okay. So let's start off with the all bit as Paul speaks to everybody in the room. He writes to them and says, after the the, the passage that he's been exploring about worship and about engagement and about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's Jesus in, the, in view. And it's all, it's collective. Submit to one another. Prefer one another. Seek to position yourself to allow somebody else to have influence on you. Give yourself to the community out of reverence for Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, what we see is there's 59 one another instructions in the letters. And they're instructions to the whole church. Not particularly male, not particularly female, not because of your economic status, not because of your legal status. They're instructions to the whole church and they kind of culminate in some of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as he expresses what love really is. That most challenging of verses that challenge us to try and emulate Christ in the way we are together. So we come to husbands and wives in this instruction. The people are sat there with bated breath. What's it going to be about? What's he talking about now? Submit to one another. Okay, what does that mean? 
And so Paul writes this, he says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the saviour of his body, the church. So what do we do with this portion? How do we apply it ourselves? Well, one of the things we want to do as we look at Paul's argument, what he's saying in the whole of his letter, is to go back and look at key phrases that he's already used. So what we find here is that this idea of headship and, a, and cornerstones are repeated in Paul's letter. Let's jump back for a second into what we call chapter 2, 18 to 22. Remember, this would have been a continued argument of Paul speaking out the message and people listening for those connecting hooks as it's being read out to them. Verse 18, now all of us can come, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done for us. See if I can move it on. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone, the head, the, the foundational principle is Christ Jesus himself. We carefully join together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So it's all, it's all encompassing. What we can't do with these verses in chapter 5 is to try and put some sequence of connectedness to God. Like man is connected to Christ and woman is connected to man and therefore there's a hop, skip and a jump before a woman can have connection in Christ. That's not what's being said. Paul repeatedly argues that men and women have relationship. Women partner, they share in the same grace of salvation that men do. There's no differentiating here. If we have a look in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 15, we find he says this, Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, let's have a look here for a minute. What is Paul connecting for the men to be as head? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As the church submits to Christ, Paul goes on in chapter 5 of Ephesians, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So for a, a husband to be the head of his wife, he's doing exactly what Paul is saying earlier in those verses. That as Christ who is the head, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. He enables it to grow so that it's healthy and growing and full of love. This is 
what Paul expresses so very clearly in these next verses. And it, it gets this complex interconnection between Christ and the church and, and men and women. And he starts to unpack what it means for a man to truly love his wife. And there is a depth, there is a profound societal shift, there's a profound change going on in people's heads as they sit and listen to this word. Everything I talked about earlier about the Greek and Roman context of a man ruling and a wife being like an imbecile, all of that structure is now starting to be dismantled by this word. Verse 27. This is what Jesus did with the church. He did this to present her, her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we're members of his body. What we see here is a radical elevation of women in this new society. A radical change, a complete usurping of what has been created by humanity, what exists in their culture, and a fundamental shift. Now what Paul does and Peter does elsewhere is they, what they don't want to do is completely upset what the household structure is. The Roman Empire were very cautious about religions that would come in and, and look to fundamentally change what they perceived to be the structures of society and how it worked. And what we see with the apostles, what we see within these letters, is that they are working with what they have at the time. They're working in that context and they are pushing the boundaries of this kingdom of God to come and set a new framework of how life should be. That return to Eden, that return to right relationship and right context. It's interesting as we look at verse 31 here. That the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Exactly what Jesus said when asked about divorce and the marriage relationship. And what's interesting to note is it's the man who leaves his mother and father. And what you see here is a man joining the family of the wife. And actually her inheritance is maintained. Her position is maintained. But that's not what's been happening in society. She is at a loss. She is purchased. She is isolated. And here Paul's making it very clear. A man leaves his father and mother. He steps out of that structure and joins to his wife who is still connected into hers. And they are united as one. He's making it clear. They are one together. This is a complete transformation in the thinking of the listeners. And it would have jarred. There would have been this 
cognitive dissonance as, as they're struggling. This, this kind of, hang on, hang on, I, I, I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to work this out. And I'd love to have been there to hear some of the conversations afterwards about what on earth is being said. Really, how do we work this out? Now, Paul's alluding to this analogy of the church and Christ, and he talks about this great mystery. And he says it's an illustration of the way the Christ and the church are one. But actually, that's quite hard to grasp. So Paul reverts back to the obvious and the easy to get. He says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so what we see here is, a huge amount of weight being placed on the shift for the male association, mental association, mental understanding of what to be a husband is. Huge. And an elevation of the wife. And he just finishes with this section with a little phrase, the wife must respect her husband. There's just this, this kind of attempt to balance there's an absolutely radical message here. Women, you are free. You are no longer expected to live under the shackles of what society have created. But in that freedom, let's just moderate that with right relationships. Submit to one another. Don't lose all respect for your husband, but do respect him in this newfound freedom that you walk in. We shift quickly from this into parents and children. And I spoke earlier about how a father essentially owns their children and can do with them as they like. They can chain them and put them in the field to labour or they can be really great fathers. And Paul is clear here. He's saying, look, there's a shift. And what's interesting in the parents and children and wives and slaves portion is that Paul communicates with them directly through his letter. Indeed, he expects them to be present in the gathered community. If you go back to Aristotle's household tables, what you find is in his teaching about how households should be managed, he doesn't refer to the women, doesn't refer to the slaves, doesn't refer to the children directly as if they ought not to be spoken to directly. And Paul doesn't do that. He expects them to be present in the room. Slaves and masters, children and parents, husbands and wives, men and women. This new society, this new radically transformed society under Christ. And so he speaks directly to children and he says, obey your parents. And that's good and that comes with promises and that's healthy and that's great. And I'm sure there's some things we can unpack in the future about that. But he does say to fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Again, this view that the Lord is present in our relationships and he wants to affect how men are towards their children. The same then for employers and employees as we would see it today. While Paul doesn't directly attack the institution of slavery and the dehumanizing effects of it, he sows the seeds in his letters. The gospel is the seedbed for a transformed society. 
Indeed, many scholars see that Paul's writings are some of the most fundamental shifts in terms of societal change that have affected the Western world and those areas that Christianity have pushed into. Absolutely groundbreaking and significant. Now masters and slaves are spoken to as equals. And there is a new one that we serve. Again, in the background, we keep him in focus. We work for Christ. We work for him. So, to land. We talked about the context that Paul's writing into. We've talked about the kingdom of God growing. And this is the practical application of the freedom and the grace and the spirit of God affecting real relationships and seeing them transformed into Christ likeness. This is the big picture of the kingdom of God, the big picture of what God is calling us into. So we have these principles. In all our relationships, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We look to Jesus' life as our model and we keep him in view and it will be okay. I'll hand back to the, uh, the guys leading, Kwesi and Peter, and uh, we'll just pray quickly uh, before I do so. Father God, I thank you that your word is life, that you speak out of your spirit to us and our spirits resonate with the freedom that you bring. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come on us as a community to experience more of this freedom, more of this liberty in Christ, to understand the revelation of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.